And we will go ahead and dismiss our children. Not all of them are children. Our kiddos. Usually on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I'm preaching about Thanksgiving stuff. But as we move through Mark, we find ourselves with Jesus facing the Sanhedrin and Peter in probably the darkest moment of his life. Not what we normally think of as Thanksgiving, but you will in a minute if you just give me time and if you'll just pay attention for just a little while longer today. There's much here for us as we uh, discover who we are, who we can be, and just what God has in store for us as His witnesses and as His children. There's a, it's kind of a carryover from last week. All of this is happening in the night, and we talked about how, uh, how, how, how some of this stuff just has to happen at night. It has to happen in the dark. There's no way to do these things to the Son of God in the light. <laughs> they were in the dark, and, and they come and arrest Him, and there's this great chaotic scene that goes on. If you read all the Gospels, and you start stringing it all together and putting all the pieces together, it's just really crazy, all that's happening. And the only sane person that's in control of the whole thing is Jesus, and He is the one that they're after to crucify. So the contrast of this is remarkable. How crazy the world gets about who he is and how utterly steadfast and a rock that he is. And nothing's going to ever move him from that. Because if, if, if he could be moved, it would have been then. So the steadfastness of Jesus as he stands there to complete the will of the Father and to continue and to complete the work that he was sent to do, if he stands steadfast then, he's going to stand steadfast with you. He just is. Because it's his nature. All of this is an expression of love for you. That's his nature. That's his character. That's his heart. And I want you to discover some of that in this today. <clears throat> And just how important it is when we find ourselves slipping and maybe find ourselves in the darkest day of our spiritual life. So let's begin in verse 53 of Mark chapter 14. You may be happy to know that we'll be finished with Mark chapter 14 today. <clears throat> it's taken a little while, but we're almost there. Verse 53 begins. They led Jesus away to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes assembled. This is the whole, this is every religious uppity up that there, that there is in Jerusalem. Peter followed him at a, at a distance right into the high priest's courtyard. He was sitting with the servants warming himself by the fire. 
The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could not find any. For many were giving false testimony against him, and the testimonies did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, stating, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by hands. Yet their testimony did not agree even on this. I want you to hear the confusion and chaos that is in this room. They brought in Jesus by force, when he's been peaceful every time they've ever seen him up to now. The room's full of people ready to destroy him. They start looking for witnesses because Jewish law says you got to have at least two people agree about a thing against the person before they could even be brought to court. And they can't even find two people to agree on the same story. And so they hear this one. Oh, man, that's not right. No, it's supposed to be like this. Well, no, I remember it like this. And here we go. There's this crazy, chaotic stuff going on. And the, and the chief priest, he is so bloodthirsty for Jesus that he's ready for anything. If I can just get anything. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus. Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? Of course, they've testified against nothing because they don't agree. He asked the question as a trap because they already know that no one can make up the same story, the same lie twice. He should have said, you know what? We can't find anybody that agrees on anything about you. You might as well go home. But he doesn't. It says, but Jesus kept silent and did not answer. Because that's not the right question. Doing this and doing that and I said this and you said that. and That's not the right question that, that matters to any of us. But here comes the right question. Again, the high priest questioned him, are you the Messiah? The son of the blessed one. So they wouldn't say God. Are you the Messiah? The son of the blessed one. Now this is what they wanted to hang on him the whole time. But nobody could come up with the right story or the right testimony to be even able to say it. But for God's will to be fulfilled, Jesus has to give testimony Against his very self. Again, he's the only one in the room that has any control over what's going on. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, Jesus said, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of heaven. I can just hear him saying it, man. <laughs> Nothing bashful about him. I can just hear the, I can hear the thunder in his voice. I can hear the strength in his voice. This is who I am. And then the high priest tore his robe. He also pulled at his beard. Poor guy. <laughs> tore his robe and said, why do we still need witnesses? What he's really saying is, why do we need any more witnesses? This man has condemned himself. 
which is exactly what Jesus said he was going to do years ago when he first said, I'm going to come and lay down my life just to take it up again. Why do we still need witnesses? You've heard this blasphemy. Blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Which they had no power to do, by the way. Some more made up stuff. They, they, they say this and they want this, but now they've got to figure out a way to actually make it happen. But Jesus, will find out, is in charge of that too. Then some began to spit on him to blindfold him and to beat him, saying, Prophesy! The temple servants also took him and slapped him. So this is the beginning of the beginning here of how they begin to just mistreat him simply because they have no other response to who he is. So often the response to the truth is simply this, to just kind of slap at it and spit at it, knowing that you can never really Change it. But then we get to Peter. And let's admit it. Of all the people in the Bible, Peter is our favorite. Of all the people in the Bible, when we look in our mirror, we see Peter. There's a lot of Peter in all of us because Peter is, is as honest about his failures as he is about his successes. And sometimes we want to be more like Peter. <clears throat> so I want you to hold on to him a little bit today. And I want you to discover just how much God loved him. How much his Savior loved him. We're going to find out exactly what that means for him and what exactly it means for us. So while Peter was in the courtyard below... One of the high priest's maidservants came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus, that man from Nazareth. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Then he went out to the entryway and the rooster crowed. Does anybody remember what we did last week? When the maidservant saw him again, she, she began to tell those standing nearby, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, you certainly are one of them since you're also a Galilean. Then he started to curse and swear, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken word to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. It's got to be the darkest place I've ever read about a human being being. To be Peter. You remember all the things that Peter had done. Peter was there. You know, he didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. When Jesus first met him, he was fishing. He fished all night. Couldn't catch anything. Jesus walks up and says, look, 
Go out there a little ways and put your nest down. You'll catch a bunch of fish. And here, Peter, this landlubber, is talking to me about catching fish. But if it'll shut you up, I'll go out and try again. I don't. So he lets down the nets and he, he can't even get all the fish in the boat. And he gets back to the shore and what does he do? He falls down at Jesus' feet. And says, gosh, I can't, I can't believe I'm in the presence of who you are. He knew then what was going on. And then there's this up and down time until finally we read in Matthew uh, chapter 16 where they're, they've, they've had this confrontation, a real, a real serious confrontation with religious leaders and they all go off in the wilderness and Jesus starts asking them, who do you say, who, who do they say that I am? And they come up with all the fairy tales that people are talking about Jesus. Oh, you're Elijah, you're Elijah, you're, doing, you're this, you're that. And Jesus looked each one of them in the face and he says, yeah, but who do you? In the singular. And then he says, who do y'all say that I am? And Peter, man, it bursts forth out of him. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Now, can you imagine a man saying that to another man? But he does. He does. He is so convinced of who Jesus is that it just comes spilling out of him. And then when Jesus, in almost the same instant, says... That you know, I've got to go die, but I'm not going to stay dead. I'm going to be in the grave three days and I'm going to rise up again. And Peter just becomes indignant with him all at once. What are you saying? That can't happen to you. And so at one minute he's declaring the Messiah, and then the next minute the Messiah is telling him, get behind me, Satan. Because you don't quite understand everything that's going on here, but I'm, I really want you to know everything that's going on here and then later he gets into the whole discussion about who's the greatest and 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 who can be saved and peter's always got questions well man if this guy can't be saved who can be saved he's he's rich he's blessed how can we be saved he says peter just stick with me stay close to me that's salvation being near me and this goes on and on back and forth in peter's life all the way until this time and in Luke's gospel, if you want to turn over there, because Luke adds a little something to this whole conversation that's going on with, uh, with Jesus and his, his disciples here at the Last Supper. My bookmark fell out. So in Luke 22, verse 31, in Mark, Jesus predicts that that Peter will deny him three times. But listen how Luke records this. He says, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. You know what he's talking about here? He says, Satan wants to take you and get rid of everything that's good and only have the bad. That's what you did when you sifted wheat. You put it in this little... little tray that had holes in it and you'd shake it like that and all the all the wheat would stay in and all the chaff would fall out and that was the way you got the, the wheat kernels well what jesus is saying is satan has wished to just work out all the good and have the bad he wants you peter you ever felt that way you ever felt that way where you're so close to Jesus that you can feel like you're his closest friend 
And then all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, Satan is after you. You better be paying attention. But look at the next line here in 22. I mean in 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned back to strengthen your brothers. Now I got a question to ask you. Serious question. Have you ever felt like your faith has failed? Have you ever felt like that you've gotten to that place where there's just nothing left to it? Have you ever been in that place where you've denied Jesus? Where you've been in those places where your behavior says, I don't really follow Jesus. Or your words that says, I don't really follow Jesus. Or your lifestyle. Or the things that you're teaching your kids. Or I can go on and on with the things that are part of your life that you might be able to look at and say right now, yeah, I deny Jesus all the time. Well, take heart. Jesus is praying for you. Isn't that remarkable? That Jesus stands in the throne room of grace today next to the power. You know how he says that in Mark? Remember when he says that? That the, so you'll see the Son of Man in all his glory next to the power. That's the way of saying next to the Ancient of Days or next to God. Jesus stands there next to the power, to the Ancients of Days, to the God the Father. And he is praying for each and every one of us. Because we are each and every one of us tempted every day to fail in our faith. I don't care who you are. And the comfort is knowing that just as Jesus prayed for Peter, He prays for us. Now Jesus prays that His faith may not fail. Now some of us may be led to believe that Jesus' prayers don't work very good, right? Because after all, didn't Peter fail? Well, if we begin to fragment our lives into these little bitty pieces where we're, where we're good one day and bad the next and we're successful one day and we fail the next, and if we do that, we will certainly not understand what a faith in Jesus Christ truly is all about. But what we will understand is that in those little moments, in those little slices of time, we are led to either do one of two things. We may either celebrate the life that we have with Christ or we may do like Peter when we fail, bow our heads and weep. What does it say? That when he, re- when he heard the rooster crow, he wept. There are times in our life, people, children, When we have to be brought to the realization that we should be weeping before our Father. That we should be weeping before our Savior. Because we have simply not been who we should be. You see, if there was ever anybody in this little scene that had a testimony to give about Jesus, it was Peter. But Peter chose to follow at a distance and to stay in the shadows and to deny, deny, deny. Can you imagine if Peter would have had the boldness to be able to step 
go up those stairs to the Sanhedrin court and walk in there and he says, let me tell you about Jesus. But he didn't. And Jesus knew he wouldn't. Which is, this is this, if you hear anything else today, you hear this. Jesus knew Peter's failures and he prayed for him and he loved him and he died for him anyway. And Jesus knows your failures. He knows where you're going to fail today and he knows where you're going to fail tomorrow. But he loves you and he cares for you and he died for you anyway. And he is praying for you now that those moments in time will not derail your whole life with him. You notice in Luke, he doesn't say, and if you return, he says, and when you return. Now, all of us should want that kind of relationship with Jesus. All of us should. You know, Peter wept. And then if you look in all the other Gospels, you can begin to piece some things together here about Peter. He's confused at the end of this crucifixion. He doesn't know what to do. They're all kind of hiding out. The women go to the grave. They're the first evangelists. They come running back. The grave is empty. It's just like he said. Peter don't know what to believe. He goes running. They all stop short of the grave, man. He runs right up on in there. He's got to touch everything. He's got to see everything. He's got to know for himself, which is okay. We all need that sometime. And then later, of course, we know what happens in John where, where Jesus goes to him. Three times he asks him to take care of his lambs, and we'll do that another day. But in Mark's gospel, when the ladies are there and they're at the grave and they meet the angels, they say, go to his disciples and Peter. And I think he's told them to go to Peter too. Because Peter was still weeping. He was still weeping and crying over what he had done. He'd been such a failure He'd been everything that he swore he would not be. He even told Jesus that night, I will defend you to the death. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't be who he thought he could be. And he certainly couldn't be who Jesus wanted him to be. But yet, Jesus never gave up on him. Never gave up on him. There's a lot of people that are Christians today that believe that they've failed so poorly that Jesus has just given up on them. You may be one of those people. That's thinking, well, I blew it. That's the end. I can't do anything else. I'll just kind of mosey through this. Hopefully I won't make any more terrible mistakes. And at the end, I'll be all right. That's not how Jesus works. He died for all of it. For all of our pitiful sinfulness. For all of our shortcomings. For all of our failures. And He set us free from them. How do I know this? Scripture tells us about this remarkable thing that happens to Peter. 
Jesus is with them for 40 days, you may recall, until finally he ascends to heaven. I have a great account of all of this in Acts. But he ascends to heaven and he tells them to wait there and they wait. And on the day of Pentecost, which is about another 40 days between the time that Jesus ascended to the festival of Pentecost, about another 40 days, what do we know happens at Pentecost? It's this festival. It's a celebration. And the Spirit of God, exactly what Jesus said he would do, God gives the Spirit to Jesus to pour out on his disciples. Okay? And... Peter's included. You see? Peter hasn't been left out of the promise that Jesus has made to all his disciples. Peter is included, no matter how bad he may have felt, no matter how rotten he may have felt for what he had done. Peter's, Peter belongs to Jesus. And the Spirit is poured out. And if we begin in verse 14 of chapter 2 of Acts, I'm just going to skim through some of this. It says, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only nine in the morning. But then he gives his great quote out of the, the prophet Joel. And he says, Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. And all at once, Peter burst into this bold testimony. And where does it come from? Where was it before? It's the same testimony that Jesus gives of himself. I want you to hear this. The only testimony you have to give is the one that Jesus gives you to give. There's no work involved in this. There's nothing to this. When you have your faith in Jesus Christ and the Spirit is poured out onto you, you don't have to worry about ever what you're going to say. Peter had no idea what he was going to say. But he was bold in it. He was bold in it. No longer hiding in the shadows. No longer standing by the fire in the shadows hoping that no one would see. No crunched down in the entryway thinking that maybe I can hear a little bit while I'm hidden. None of that's going on anymore. This is broad daylight. This is in the morning time when everybody thinks they're drunk and all they are is drunk on God. And he preaches. And that night in the garden where everything he had to say was nothing but denials and curses. When we get over here in verse 37 of chapter 2, it says, When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, Brothers, what should we do? You remember in Luke 22 when he says, after you've returned, he says to go and take care of my brothers. And here are his brothers asking him, what are we to do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. As many as our Lord, 
uh, the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted this message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. About 80 days earlier, nobody was learning a thing about Jesus other than Peter didn't know him. And 80 days after, all of Jerusalem is hearing. What's the difference? What's the difference? Genuine faith exercised in the Spirit of the living God. This time next year, you will hear people talking about the Kanye effect. I promise you. I promise you. There'll be a thing called the Kanye effect. You all know who I'm talking about? Kanye West. It's already started. You know why it's so powerful? Not because Kanye was, well, not the kind of person I'd want to be around before. It's because He's living out a genuine faith under the power of the Spirit of God. It wouldn't matter who he was or what he's doing. The man's life was changed by Jesus and he wants everybody to know it. And he is not ashamed for everybody to know it and he don't care what they're going to say about him saying that he knows it. And so what's happening? Man, all of a sudden there's a lot of celebrity types that want to be that bold in who they are. Rather than being told who they are, they're going to be bold in who they are in Christ Jesus. And we love it. Because it pushes back against all that that we keep hearing. And let me tell you this. If you're not pushing back against all of it, who I never say this word. Shame on you. You have the opportunity to speak. Don't be like Peter in the courtyard, in the dark, hoping and praying to salvage some semblance of who you believe you are to save your own skin. Be the Peter that's in the light and speak it. Speak the truth of it with the power of God. But you can't have that if you're going to try to walk this middle road where I think I'm going to live this life and this life. You talk about a narrow road. You fall off that one pretty easy. But if you're going to live the life of Jesus, and it's narrow too, you're going to be okay. People, the world, the church, the church had to have Peter. That day on Pentecost had to have it. Jesus knew it. And he arranged it all to happen. Just like he arranged for his testimony before the Sanhedrin. He arranged for Peter's testimony that day. He arranged for all of that to happen. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ has to have people like Peter. And it has to have people like you. Who are just as bold. And who are just as empowered. 
and who just as surrendered to do exactly what he did. If you're tired of the world being the way it is, anybody tired? You guys that are here that you're fighting addiction, are you tired? I know James told me. He said, I'm just tired. He said, I've been doing this and I'm tired. Well, look, we're all tired. We're all tired of the way that the world just comes down and bears down against Jesus with with total lies and false testimony. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it all getting swept to the side and saying, oh, because of our individual rights and our individual beliefs and this, that, and the other, that that is all sacred and everything that stands against that needs to be pushed away. I am tired. But imagine a hundred voices all at once speaking against such nonsense. That's not how many's here today. It's how many should be here today, at least. Imagine, imagine 500. Imagine a thousand. Imagine 67 million. See, that's the church's problem. We're not speaking as though we live by the Spirit. We want God to rain down His blessing. We hear a lot about that. But we don't want to do anything that says, I believe Him and I trust Him. And you should too. And the life you're living is a heap. It's a rubble. It's a train wreck. It's a dumpster fire. All, that, all you, all the stuff. I don't know what they. I try to be hip with my language, but my kids correct me. Right off, dumpster fire is a good one. People need to hear that their lives are dumpster fire. Why? Because if they don't hear it, all they know is that really you don't love them. We can continue to let the world go the way that it's going. And on Thanksgiving days, 50 years from now, it won't be done in a place like this. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not a prophet, but my eyes are open. And when the church decides that it's going to be like Peter on that great day on Pentecost and not like the Peter in that courtroom, we're going to be okay. Did you hear the end of that passage I last read? Over 3,000 people that day. 3,000 people that didn't have a clue about who God was and what He was doing in human history. 3,000 people that had never read Scripture and understood it like Peter was explaining to them. 3,000 people who had thought just days before they had done the right thing, suddenly understanding that they'd done the wrong thing and they were ready to repent for forgiveness of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus. 3,000 people that day. And all we've done in our church is ask to just pray for one and for the opportunity to change one person. One. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way. I mean, really, if you want to know why America exists, you want to know why? <laughs> it's for the freedom to, dec to declare 
that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. We better start declaring it. Or there won't be any more thanksgivings. It'll be something else that they'll come up with a name that somehow or another depicts what somebody thinks that, I don't know, I can't even explain it. I really can't. I don't have to. Christ and Him crucified. Risen from the grave for the redemption of your sins and mine. For eternal life of the Father. That's all I got to know. Let's pray about it.